Well, I am excited to bring this message to you guys today, so let's jump into it. If you've got your Bibles, lift them up. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're wondering how much rain we got, all I know is I looked out in the front pasture and the sheep were lining up two by two, so I figured that meant something. <laughs> Lots of rain going on. Um, this is an exciting series that we're in. We started last week on our series called Something Amazing, and this is the precursor to us kicking off our building campaign, which is coming here in a few weeks. I'm very, very excited. More excited than normal, and that's saying something. So I'm really excited about what God is going to do. But the truth is, what God is really interested in is what? What's God interested in? People. God is interested in people. And I never want you guys to forget as we go through the series and we jump into the building campaign and all those other things, it's always about people, the individual people. And we read scriptures that say, for God so loved the world, and it's easy for us to understand that God loves the world, but the truth is God loves you as a person, individually. On your good days and your bad days, he loves you completely. And he wants to do something amazing in your life. Let's jump in here to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. These are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and, and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. As a, as a reminder of last week, what we talked about was Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He had a very prestigious position in the king's household. He literally stood behind, beside him, tasted the king's food before he got it to make sure that it wasn't poison. This was a very important man in the kingdom at that time. He had been born in captivity. Seventy years before, uh, Jerusalem had been taken over and, and most of the people had been taken into captivity. And so... Nehemiah had never been to his home country. He had never been there. And so when this word came, this came from a place that was 800 miles away from a country that even though he was related to, he had never been to. And this was the impact that it had on his life. He wept before God because he, he recognized that God wanted to do something. And the reason why God wanted to do something is because God loves people. And his kingdom was broken down. And the walls had been broken down. The place was an utter disaster. Not only were the walls broken down, but the people were broken. The people were absolutely broken. And that moved the heart of God and it moved the heart of Nehemiah. But I want to give you two big thoughts today as I kick this off. And I want you to remember what I'm about to say. When God calls us to himself, he does so for a very specific purpose. God has a plan, literally a plan for every person in this room. Regardless of your age, regardless of your background, God has a specific plan for your life. The Bible tells us that over and over again. God has a plan for us. But God will never do something great through us until he does something significant or great in us. I'm going to say that again. 
God will never do anything great through us until he does something great inside of us. God is more interested in what goes on in the inside of you than what goes on the outside of you because what goes on the outside is going to be a reflection of what goes on on the inside. It's about your heart. It's about your life. And when you give your life to God, he's going to do a significant work, a great work on the inside. And then what happens on the outside is a direct result of that. Does that make sense? He wants to use someone whose heart is completely his. When you give your everything to God, he's going to do something amazing in your life. He's interested in your heart. And here's the second big thought. If you want to make your life count, if you want your life to matter then find out what God cares about and get involved. If you want your life to matter, find out what God cares about and then get involved in that. I've had people ask me, how do you find success in ministry? The way you find success in ministry is simply find out what God cares about. And then when you find out what God cares about in your community, in your home, in your school, wherever you are, in your business, and then you partner with God, he will do amazing things. It's not rocket science, but it takes us seeking like Nehemiah did, drawing close to the heart of God and hearing what God had to say. Does that make sense? That's what God is interested in in our lives. So Nehemiah, when he finds out this news, he's brokenhearted for the people of God in the city of Jerusalem. And so he begins to fast and pray. And a a period of time goes by, and he realizes that he's going to have to have help. He realizes God's saying, hey, Nehemiah, I want you to go rebuild the walls of the city. But Nehemiah recognizes, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need some help. So he's going to go to the king. Look at this. Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 5. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. He was doing his job. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Side note. Side note. This guy served every day. It didn't ever say I was never sad. It said I never showed the king that I was having a bad day. And there's, there's a, a, something here as an employee, whether you work for somebody, volunteer, whatever, work hard. Work hard. Do your job as unto the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here. The king, I mean, he'd been working for him for quite some time. He had never seen him sad. He might have been having a bad day, but the king didn't know it. But today the king noticed something was wrong. I never appeared sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. What's going on? And then Nehemiah says, I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said, well, how can I help you? Now listen to me. This is important. He worked hard every day. And then when the time came that he needed the help from his boss, he was able to go to him. But it's because he did a really good job. And he had developed a relationship and had served this man well. Can you imagine if this guy was a bad employee, if he went to the king and said, Hey, I need some help here. What do you think the king would have said? Dude, I'm thinking about firing you. I don't want to help you out the dough. <laughs> That's not what he said, did he? He valued this man. With his life. He put literally his life in Nehemiah's hands. This guy's important to him. And he served with distinction. And when the time came, because he'd served well, he 
He said, what can I do for you? What do you need my help for? And then I love the scripture. I love how the scripture gives us insight. The Bible says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. There's another translation that says, under my breath. He knew it was coming. This is the big moment. So he says a prayer. How many of you have ever taken a test before? How many of you have had a pop quiz happen you didn't know about? That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Lord Jesus, help me. I mean, it's one of those, okay, this is it. I need some help right now, God. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Here's what makes this more interesting. Do you know that there's nowhere in Scripture that we see that Nehemiah had a degree in architecture? He tasted food. And all of a sudden, God's calling him to go to a city to rebuild the walls of a city, an ancient city. He's sending him over to do this. He has no experience. There is nothing in the Bible that tells us he ever built anything, not even a birdhouse, nothing. I mean, this guy, we don't see anything here that says he has experience. And he's going to this king to say, hey, I need you to release me to go build this city. And further on in the scripture, he actually says, and I need some supplies. You know, money would be great. I need some soldiers to protect me. I mean, he's got this list of things that he needs to rebuild the walls. But here's what the most fascinating thing about this to me is. Jerusalem's walls were burned down and broken, right? Right? They've been invaded. Guess who invaded them? The country of the king, he's asking to give him the money to go rebuild the walls. He's going to the guy whose predecessors had broken the walls down and said, Hey, I need money to go rebuild these walls that 70 years ago you broke down and invaded us. In other words, these people were enemies at one time. And he's asking his enemy to rebuild the fortress that they had to take over. Guys, that's a big old step, isn't it? That's a big step. And he's also saying, I need to take off and go do this. And he has this list of things. Listen to me. I'm going to read this next statement. Look at your notes. When God calls you to do something for him, you can be guaranteed of three things. And I'm going to list these three things for you. The first thing that God's going to call you to do is it's going to be that the vision will be bigger than you can do alone. The vision that God puts in your heart will be bigger than you can do by yourself. Nehemiah 2 verse 17a. This is Nehemiah talking after he gets to Jerusalem. These are the people of Jerusalem. He's talking to them. He says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Notice he says we here. We are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Notice the next statement. I put it in caps in my notes. Let us. Rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. He's taken ownership of the problem, but he's also enlisted the help of all the people that are involved. When God calls you to do something, it's going to be bigger than you can do by yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Listen to this. Listen to this. The walls at this time, the walls of Jerusalem at this time, get this, are 2.5 miles long. There's two and a half miles of wall that's been broken down at this point. The walls are 40 feet high and surround the old city of Jerusalem. The average thickness, the average thickness of the walls is 8.2 feet. There's 34 watchtowers and there are eight gates as part of this structure. 
This is a massive undertaking. And Nehemiah recognizes that he cannot do this by himself. It's going to take everybody working together to make this happen. And that's the way God works. God calls us to visions that we can't do by ourselves. Our church is the absolute perfect story for that. When you look at what God has done in our church family over the last few years, it has taken all of us to be involved, doesn't it? Everybody has a part to play. From little kids up to 90-plus-year-old folks and everybody in between, God calls us to join together to fulfill the vision that he's called us to. And as we get ready to launch into this building project, it's exactly the same way. God is going to call each of us to do something. Each of us to do something. And I love that. Nehemiah was not qualified to do what God had called him to do. I've actually got a plaque in my office that says, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I look at that all the time. And that has really been a testimony of my life. When I look at all the things back through the history of my life that God has called me to do, in the natural, I was not qualified to do any of them. Any of them. I mean, when I came here to senior pastor, I didn't know what I was doing. Some of you go, well, you know. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. You know, when I was in the business world, when I was working at the ballpark in Arlington, when I became an officer with a sharp can, when I've done all these things that God throughout my life has called me to do, I've simply been obedient to what the next step was. And that's what God calls each of us to do. Because right now, God's got something in your heart to do. And, And here's the first thing you do. God, I can't because... See, Nehemiah was the exact same way. He he could have had a laundry list of things, of reasons why he is the last person that God should send to go do this. He has no experience. He doesn't have anything except the most important thing. It's faith in God. See, what God is looking for from each person in this room is faith. It's trusting God to do the impossible I mean, look at your Bible. Noah. Noah never built an ark. And, and somebody in first service said something very interesting today. Uh, Noah, much, much like Nehemiah, he did not have an engineering degree. There had never been a flood. <laughs> you know, so Noah's building this ark, and God gives him the dimension, so Noah's out doing this thing, right? What's interesting is Noah's boat never sank. There were some really smart people built the Titanic. guy in first service mentioned that, I thought, that's genius. It's not about your qualifications. It's about his qualifications. And when you decide to trust God, regardless of your background, regardless of your mistakes, giving God everything in your life, he will do something amazing with your life. But it's learning to remove the excuses and give God the opportunity. And I promise you, because if I, if I know anything, I know this. It may be one of the few things I really, really know. That if you'll be obedient to God and jump out in faith, he will do something amazing with your life. But you're going to have to trust him. Okay? You're going to have to trust him. Here's number two. Look at number two. There will be opposition. When God calls you to do something, there will be opposition. I put this on purpose, not may, will. When you step out to do whatever it is God's called you to do, there's going to be a line of people there to tell you how stupid you are. 
okay? There will be. There will be. I remember there were some wonderful people in my family. When I said, hey, we're moving up to Arkansas to pastor church, they said, oh, bless y'all's heart. Y'all, so, y'all know what that means in the South. <laughs> bless their little pumpkin heads. They just, you know, oh, Lord, love them. Ooh. You know, right? Yeah. If you're not from the South, we'll tell you what that means later. If somebody says, bless your heart to you, that may not be a good thing. <laughs> okay? But there were people that thought we were crazy. But we were crazy. We were crazy enough to believe God. And there are going to be things that, that, that when you step out, there's going to be opposition to what God has called you to do. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they heard what we're going to do, they scoffed contemptuously. Let me tell you what that means in southern vernacular. They talked trash. That's what that is. They scoffed contemptuously. They talked trash. You morons, are you crazy? What are you doing? They literally did that. Had all kinds of mean things that they were saying. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I mean, they were just trying to incite division and riot and all those kind of things. Look at your next point. The enemy always opposes the move of God. Whenever God begins to move, the enemy will always counter that move. That's the way he works, guys. And as we get ready to step into this building project, that's going to happen. There's going to be giants. There's going to be tests. Like that old Christian saying, there's no testimony without a test. <laughs> right? There's got to be battles to be victories. And God is always going to allow these challenges to come up. But I want you to understand something. That's okay. Giants are being expected. Hey, if we weren't doing anything, the devil wouldn't care. Right? If the devil leaves you alone, it's because you're not doing anything. But we don't have to worry about it. Because the battle's not ours, it's God's. God is responsible for the outcome of the battle. Not us. Our job is to be obedient. Number three, I'm getting ahead of myself. Despite the opposition, God will always succeed. Despite, in spite, or for spite, <laughs> the opposition, God will always succeed. Nehemiah 2 verse 20 says this. And this was his reply to these guys talking trash. He says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share or historic claim in Jerusalem. He said, look, man, we're going to do this. I love the we again. All of us together, we're going to rebuild this wall. Do you guys, you don't have anything to do with this. You know, as I was reading, and I encourage you, take some time over these next few weeks to read the story of Nehemiah. It's absolutely amazing. And Nehemiah, in one section of this, gives a list of all the different people that were working on the wall. And he talks about this guy and that guy and his family and such and such. And it's amazing. It's this history of all these people that join their faith together. And guess what? These people, they didn't have any experience rebuilding walls. But they had faith in God. There's one section of scripture that stuck out to me as I was reading that. It talked about this people. I think they were from Torak or Kator or whatever it was. And it said the people came and rebuilt the wall. But then there's a footnote that says, but their leaders didn't help them. So the leaders didn't help. The people helped. 
But the leaders didn't. And, and that really stuck out to me because I recognized that what God is calling us to, whether you're at work, at school, whatever it is that God's called you to, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to get on board with what God's doing or are you not? And I want to tell you something, guys. You can be proud of your leadership in the church because as we're, as we're doing this building project, they're pushing me. I had the architect design the sanctuary the other day, and a couple of our deacons said, Pastor, that's too small. <laughs> that's awesome. It's awesome when people are pushing me. and say, Pastor, no, no, no. You've got to get your faith up a little bit, Pastor. <laughs> I love that. Because God's doing a work. But see, there's going to come a day soon in the body of our local church. Are you going to get on board or are you just going to look at the work going on? And here's the deal. Everybody's got a part to play. We all get to choose. Are we going to sit on the sidelines or are we going to get in the game? And I want to tell you something. The book of Nehemiah is about our people jumping in and watching God do something amazing. And you've got a choice to make. What are you going to do? I want to tell you in my experience of why people tend to not allow God to move into their lives. And the reason I called this series Broken, because it's not so much about the broken walls of Jerusalem, as it is about the broken hearts of the people. That's what was broken. Their hearts were broken, their will was broken. And God didn't want to just rebuild the walls, because you can have walls and still have a broken heart. God wanted to rebuild their hearts. And the reason many of us in life decide we're not going to jump in with what God's doing is because of our own brokenness. We say, God, you can't use me because, and then you fill in the blank with whatever that because is. God, you can't do it because of my past, because of this, because of that, whatever it is. And we disqualify ourselves to the God of heaven. But here's the problem with that. We sang that song today of being redeemed. It's not about your ability. It's about his ability. The Bible is full of people just like you who were broken. And who God said, just give me a chance. And they said, all right, God, I'm a mess, but I'm your mess. And he made masterpieces out of them. My life's that way. I don't deserve to do this. I don't deserve to pastor you amazing group of people. And that's the truth. But for all of my faults, there is one thing in there that I'm thankful that God has given me is the gift of faith. Because I trust him. I just trust him. And if he says to do something, we're just going to do it. You know, Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we call that the great exchange. He says, take my yoke on you. Because it's light. In other words, you give me your burdens, you give me your mess, you give me everything in you, and I'm going to exchange that with my love and my peace and my grace and my mercy. I'm going to give you my burden. And he said, and by the way, my burden is light. And I want to tell you, as the pastor of a growing church and all the challenges, and, and there's so many people that deal with so many different things on a week, not even a week to week anymore, it's almost a day-by-day -day challenges. And I have learned this, Jack. I've learned this. I can't fix everything. How many fixers do I have? Come on. Be honest. Barbie, raise your hand right now. Do it. Okay. There, there, there are fixers in here, Wardell. We want to fix everything. 
We want to fix it. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. But I want to tell you something. If, if you ever feel like you're getting a little important, try to go order somebody else's dog around. Come on. You know what? You don't have as much control as you think you do. How many of you have children? There you go. Well, I don't need to explain anything to you now. <laughs> you know who you're responsible for? Do this. Everybody put your finger up in the air. And I'll put it right here. You're responsible for you. You can't control, really, what anybody else does. But you are responsible for your own life. You are responsible for what you do. And that's what God calls us to do. He said, look, you're responsible for you. You don't need to be worried about what Brenda's doing or what Ed's doing or what Mark's doing or what Danny's doing. You're responsible for what I've called you to do. So don't give me excuses. Give me your heart. And guys, you've got to believe this. Because if you don't believe this, we can't do anything. If you will just step out in faith and give God your life, he will do something amazing with your life. And I don't care how messed up you think it is. You hear me? Because the Bible's full of messed up people. But God did something amazing in them. So if you feel like you're messed up, you're in good company. Give him everything. If he can use Jonah and Noah and Paul and Peter... That's right. Donkeys, jackasses, that's right. He did, didn't he? He'll use you. He's just looking for you to surrender to him. That's your job. It's God's job to bring about the results that he wants. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to examine your heart. What is keeping you from surrendering everything to God? What is it? Because I want you to understand something. Trisha and I have talked about this. I'm excited about this building project, but she and I have clarity on what God is really calling us to do. He's not calling us to build a building. He's calling us to build people. We get it. It's clear to us. We just need more room to do that. Because there's hundreds of them out there, thousands of them, that need a place. And God's calling us to meet their needs. So we're going to do it. How's it going to happen, Pastor? That's not my responsibility. I'm just supposed to be obedient. God will make it happen. And he's going to make it happen through you and through me. My job's to surrender. So examine your life. Where are you? What's going on? What's keeping you from jumping in with God? Surrender it all to him. Do you understand? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for the people that all came together and rebuilt those walls. What an amazing thing that you did in the lives of ordinary people who believed in an extraordinary God. And Lord, I know the most important thing we do every week is right now. That there are people here today, Lord, that the walls of their heart are broken. That there's challenges that they're facing, that the enemy is coming in and out and just wreaking havoc in their life. Because their walls are broken. And you want to mend hearts. Jesus, you said you came to heal the brokenhearted. You came to do that. And so, Father, I'm asking you right now in Jesus' name, according to your word, that you would do the work that you said you would, and that's to heal broken people. If you're here today, this is, this is a private time between you and God. If you're here today and you're honest with yourself, 
and you would say, Pastor, the walls of my life are broken down. My heart is broken, and I need Jesus to help me. If that's you, slip your hand up. Man, there's people all over the place in here. You can put your hands down. They're saying, God, I've got a broken heart. I need your help. Let me tell you something. There's good news. Good news is that Jesus is still in the business of healing broken hearts. He heals mine, healed mine. And for every hand that was raised, there's probably two or three hands more that have seen God do amazing things, and he's healed them. And if you're here today and that's you, this is your day. This is your day. If you slip your hand up, I'm going to ask you to do something very brave. This is the most non-judgmental place I've ever been. We're here to see people healed. So if you slip your hand up, I want you to come down front. I'm going to pray with you. Just say, Pastor, I'll come down right now. Come on down front and just line up in front of me. Just line up in front of me, Richard. If you slip your hand up, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. We're here for you. Amen. Amen. Let's just take a moment and pray.
greatest miracle of all is a changed heart. There are people in this room that your life was an absolute train wreck. Nobody would bet on you. And the God of the universe, the creator of everything, stepped in and he touched your life and he changed you. The mess into a masterpiece. That's what he does. That's what he does. And for those of you that are here today that say, well, I'm just too big of a mess. I've gone too far. <laughs> you can't out God's grace. I'm sorry. You're not that good. You're not. But you got to stop running. You got to stop running. And just... Surrender your life to him and let him fix you. Right, Colbert? You know. I can look around this room and I know some of you. I know what God has done. Marshall, I know what God has done. And what he's still doing. Stop, Jack, stop. Just here I am, Lord. Use me. He will. Just let him have your life. Let him fix you. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. We still have people praying. God's doing some amazing things up here. Dennis, do you have something you want to share? Okay. Got some birthdays this week. Mark Mark Miller's turned 22. Isn't that awesome? I think Denise, it's your birthday. Who else was it? Mike, Sammy. 27, that's awesome, Sammy. Dennis, I, I knew you had a word. I figured you had something. Come here just a second. Good, mo- good morning, good morning, good morning. I don't know where Marty went, but anyway. There he is. You hear me now? Can everybody hear me? I don't know if y'all felt it this morning, but God was here this morning. Amen. More so than I've seen in a while. I was sharing with the pastor this morning, God's moving in my heart. I don't know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's moving anywhere else, but he's moving here. Amen. He's moving at home. Um, 
don't, evidently, I don't take a lot of sleep to get to go through the next day. Um, a lot of y'all know I drive to Mountain View every day, an hour over, hour back. Um, God's been waking me up in the mornings. Some mornings it's two o'clock. Some mornings it's one thirty. Some mornings it's three. But I don't go back to sleep very well after that because God puts a. Usually it's a song in my heart, or somebody. But it's happening pretty regular. So God's stirring. He is stirring hearts. Something's coming. And you can either get on board or you can get out of the way because this train's coming home. Okay? The boat is sailing. You can either get on the boat and let God do his work in you and you help people out. You be the hands and feet of Jesus or get out of the way and let somebody else do it. Okay? Because God's moving. Amen. Amen. That's one of these guys right now that's pushing me. There are seasons that you go through in life and there are opportunities. You know, when Noah was building the ark, there was a day that it stopped. And as whatever's happened has happened, and we're done. And, and there are going to be seasons that we're going through as a church and in your life where, where God's grace is so amazing, that amazing grace that we sing about. But there'll come a point for you that it's like God says, all right, we're done. And many of us say, well, why hasn't God judged this, that, and the other thing? Because God loves who? People. And he's long-suffering because he wants us to get it right. And he wants us to jump in. He wants us to participate. The Bible tells us that he doesn't want anybody to perish. That's his deal. (laughs) So stop saying tomorrow or next week. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to jump in. Today is the day to allow God to have everything. This isn't a game. This is your life. Make it count. Grab your neighbor's hand this morning. There's probably a couple of you here today that need to talk to me. And so I'm going to stand up here for a few minutes before I take these college students to eat. So before you leave today, you you know who you are, whoever you are. I'm just saying, I'm going to be here. Don't lose the opportunity that God's speaking to you about, okay? Father, I just thank you for your love and your mercy that's over us. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our families and in our church, Lord, in our church family. Father, but it's for your glory because you love people. So, Father, as we leave today, I pray that you would help us to be your hands and your feet in our community, wherever we live. That, Father, we would see the world the way you see the world. That we would see people the way that you see people. And that, Father, you would simply use us however you see fit. And that we get to be a part of your plan. When they looked at the disciples and they said, who are these people? The only result they could come up with is all they knew is they had been with Jesus. Lord, help us to be those people. And when people look at our our lives, all they can say is, I don't know who they are, but I know they've been with Jesus. And help us to love people the way you do, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, bless us as we go. Keep your hand on us. And we thank you for it. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you as you go. Y'all have a great week, okay?